This is a Liberty Baptist Church sermon podcast. LBC is pastored by Jordan Zeke and exists to reach the lost, disciple the saved, and send the called. For more information on our church, please check out our website at lbcspokane.com. We hope that you are encouraged by today's sermon and that it draws you closer to God. With that, if you want to turn your Bibles today to Luke chapter 4, we are going to continue on in our series, uh, but I've to kind of make it feel like it's broken up a little bit, we've been, uh, we started off with uh, talking about Christ's birth, and then we were talking about the beginning of Christ's ministry and the very first things that he did with going into the wilderness and getting baptized and doing all of that. And today we are starting talking about the building up of Jesus' ministry. That means what is he doing now to, to really solidify his ministry and the things and the reasons why he is doing what he's doing. And that, that's mainly what today's passage is about. It's God, or it's Jesus, fulfilling prophecy and proclaiming what he has come to do. So if you want to read with me, we're going to read in, in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Uh, we aren't going to read all the way through 29 right now, but we will uh, throughout the, the sermon. And so starting in verse 14 through 16, this is what it says. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had uh, been brought up. And his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So, this Jesus that we see right here is actually a year after we had already seen him in the wilderness. So, it, it kind of it skips a year from the temptation all the way to him in his uh, Galilean ministry. If you want to read about that ministry and the different miracles that he did, read John 1 through 4, and you can see him at, at uh, this wedding and him doing his first miracle of turning water into wine, of him healing, of him doing all these different things in Galilee in that area. And that is kind of what he's been doing the past year. But now we finally see him in Luke chapter 4, and we see him a year later showing back up into Nazareth, which is the place that he was brought up. Now, we know that he was born in Bethlehem, and he lived in a couple different areas, but Nazareth is kind of the place that claims him and the place he claims. If you think about it, a lot of people refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth. And so he spent a bunch of time in Galilee, um, but finally he's in his hometown, Nazareth. But while he was in Galilee, it says that in verse 14, there went out a fame of him throughout the region and round about. His his ministry, the things that he was doing, the miracles he was working, the things he was saying, were starting to get some traction. They were starting to pick up, and he was getting a name, and people were starting to know who he is. It says that he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, and so then when he came to Nazareth, as he usually would, It says that he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So that's kind of the the catch up to, to figure out what this story is about. But we see Jesus after he's already started his ministry. He's been doing it for a year. He's kind of got a name in which people know who Jesus is, know that he's going to come and he's going to preach to them. And then all of a sudden, there's two things, two major things that happen in this story. The first thing that we see is that Jesus preached. 
We're going to read verses 14 through 21, but, but I want you to first and foremost, or foremost know that Jesus came and he preached to the people. Just as he did in Galilee, just as he's known to do, he got up in the synagogue and he preached. So if you'll read with me uh, Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 21, it says this. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. I don't know. I don't think I said that right, but it's Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and he sat down, the eyes of all of them which were in the synagogues were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, The day this scripture, or to this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So the very first thing that Jesus does, he gets to Nazareth, and he goes in a synagogue, and they give him the book of Isaiah, and all of a sudden, he, he quotes Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, which says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. They, being the people of, Na- of, of Nazareth, would understand and would know that this passage is talking about a prophecy. It's talking about a prophecy in which Christ has come to fulfill. Because this is talking about, hey, this, when the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, when, when the Spirit of God has come, which we know after his baptism that the Spirit came down like a dove and abided in him and remained in him, that since he has the Spirit, here is what he's come to do. So we see that there's four things that this passage talks about that Jesus is saying at the end. He says uh, in that last verse, he says, this day, or this scripture fulfill, is fulfilled in your ears. He's saying, hey, all the things that I just read, which we're going to talk about, four different things, I have come to fulfill right now. That's what I'm here to do. The first thing that Christ uh, talks about that he is claiming that he is here to fulfill is to bring gospel to the poor. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily not the financially poor, but those who have nothing to offer God. We see in Matthew 5.3 it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those aren't, those aren't financially poor people. It's people, hey, Poor in the spirit, those who, those who understand that they're not above God, that, hey, I, I don't have anything to offer, but Christ has still come to help me. He's come to give me the gospel. He's come to share with me because I am in spiritually poor. He's come for those who have humbled themselves. In Psalm uh, 34, 18, it says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of broken heart, but saveth such as, um, as be of a contrite spirit, those who are humble. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Even in Revelation three seventeen, talking to the church of Laodicea, it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have nothing, or have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Those who build themselves up and say, hey, 
I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm amazing because I've got all this money. I've got all these financial things. Those are momentary. Those are going to pass. The Bible talks about us setting up rewards in heaven because the things of this world are momentary. They're going to rust. They're going to fade away. But the rewards that we can have later, that's what Christ has come to give us. He says, hey, this is what this passage is saying. It says, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good things unto the meek, this is Isaiah again, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening the prison to them that are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Christ said that because he's anointed, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to give gospel to the poor. That's the first thing that he says that he is, is that the prophecy is claiming and he has come to do. The second thing that Jesus preached is to release, or is to give release for the captive. He's come to give gospel to the poor, but he's come to give release for the captive. Now this is, again, not physical slaves, but slaves to sin. This morning in Sunday school, we talked about sin, we talked about depravity and the total depravity of man. If you want to go back tomorrow, uh, it'll, be on, it'll be online so you can listen to it. But we had talked all about what it means to have an inherent sin. We have inherited, because of the original sin, because of the fall in Genesis 3, we have inherited sin and are not good. Christ has come to set us free. Not, again, not physical slaves, not those who, um, who are slaves to other people, but those who are slaves to sin. Those who are servants to sin. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should not serve sin. We are, until salvation, servants to sin. We talked about, in, again, in Sunday school, we talked about how we are wrath, or uh, we are tools of wrath. That all we know until we are saved is sin. All we know is how to sin. All we know and feel and understand is the things of sin. Romans 6, 16 through 20 says this, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Meaning, your servants to whom you're going to obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of man because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness, for ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. So this entire passage is simply saying, hey, we were bound to sin. When we were unbelievers, when we didn't understand God, when we didn't know Christ, we were servants to sin. That's who we obeyed. That's who we listened to, ourselves, The things that our flesh wanted, the things that our heart desired. John 8, 34 says, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So not only were we servants to sin, but Jesus was sent to set us free. Isaiah 42, 5 through 7 says this, Thus saith the Lord God, He that created heavens and stretched them out, He that spreadeth forth the earth and that uh, which cometh out of it, He that giveth breath unto the people unto it, and the Spirit unto them that walk therein, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness." 
and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of thy people for the light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison of home. Another prophecy in which Christ came to fulfill. Colossians 2.14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. When Christ came, he set us free from that sin. When If we believe in him, he set us free from that sin. Again, not a physical slave, but we were slaves to sin. So we talked, he, he preached about uh, the prophecy in which he had come to give gospel to the poor. He had come to release, uh, give release for the captive. He'd come to give sight to the blind. Again, this isn't without eyes, but those in the dark. Those who cannot see in front of them. Those who do not know what's coming forward. When we look at being in the dark, this is what we see. Psalm 82.5 says, They know not, neither they will, uh, will they understand. They walk on in darkness. Jeremiah 5.21 says, Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. John 3.19-20, Christ says, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So every person before salvation is sitting in the dark. They're sitting in, in, this, in this, this emptiness and this void in which they don't want to be found in the light. Because their sins will be found out. I mean, I, I find myself uh, many times reading this over and over and over again because, you know, you, you look at our society and you look at life and you think, man, how can somebody so depraved, so, so vile, somebody who doesn't, you know, who, who rejects God do such evil things? Well, the answer is simple because they're living in the dark. They don't care for the light. They don't want to be found in the light because then their sins are going to be found out. But we see that that's what darkness is, but then we see the opposing side of where Christ came to do is to open their eyes and shine light. Luke 179 says, uh, this is what we had already read a couple weeks ago, it says, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. That's what Christ came to do. John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus spoke unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Acts 26, 18 says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light from their power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. I know I'm kind of uh, going through these uh, quickly because each one of these, these conversations, each one of these topics can be its own entire sermon, but I I just want you to understand is that's what Christ is saying he has come to do. This prophecy in which it's saying, hey, he's going to, he's going to give gospel to the poor. He's going to, to release the captive. He's going to give sight to the blind. All of these things he has come to do right now. That's what he's saying. The last thing that he says is that he has come to give freedom to the oppressed. Again, this is not necessarily a political oppression, but those who are worn down by the sin. Of their lives. Those who cannot continue and those who do not want to fulfill God's law because they're in the dark. 
because they're slaves, because they are poor. All of these things work together. We see in, in Matthew 23, 4, it says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They don't have the power to get rid of these chains. Again, in, in Sunday school, when we talked about total depravity, it means we are totally messed up. We are totally bad, and there is nothing we can do to get to God except through Christ. That's why he came to set us free. Because these chains that we have on us, this, this affliction, this sin, cannot go away unless we allow God to take it. Acts 15.10 says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God? To put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which, whether, or which neither your fathers nor ye were able to bear. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest into your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The four things that Christ preaches that he came saying this is on this day, this prophecy that you have now read, that you know, that you have understood, I have come to accomplish it today. I, that's why I'm here. That's the purpose of my ministry. It says, uh, it says in those verses that, that uh, the people, uh, it says he closed the book and he gave it to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So the first thing that we see in this story is, number one, Jesus preached. He preached that he is here to fulfill prophecy. But then the second thing is really funny to me, and it's, it's important for us to understand their attitude during this time, is that people got mad. Jesus preached, and then people got mad. If you'll read with me in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 22 through 29, it says this. And all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is, it, is not this Joseph's son? So they were, they were amazed. They're like, man, this is, this is the little kid we know. This is Jesus. This is him, right? This, this is Joseph's son. But it says, and he said unto them, ye will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy own country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I, sell you, but I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land, but, not, uh, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save the uh, Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of uh, Elias the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the, or the brow of the hill whereon to their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. So all of a sudden, Jesus then says, hey, I know that you guys are upset. I understand that you, you know, they're, they're sitting there, hey, this is, this is little Jesus that we know. This is Joseph's son, right? He says, before you even say anything else, 
let me, let me stop you right there. He says, hey, I know what you're going to ask. You're going to say, hey, do miracles just like you did in Capernaum. But realistically, he knows the miracles would not prove to them who Jesus really was. They might sit there and say, hey, heal us. Hey, turn water into wine. Hey, do this stuff. Do the things that we already know you've done. But he says, that's not going to be enough for you guys. That's not going to be enough for you to understand who I am and why I'm here. So instead of doing that, he says, hey, just like Elijah and Elisha, Jesus isn't going to be accepted among his own people. He tells this story, if you... uh, if you don't know the stories, I'll, I'll kind of uh, t- tell you about them. But he says that there, uh, in Matthew 13, 15, 7 through 58, he says, uh, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. Uh, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. John four forty four says, and Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. The story of Elijah, if you see in James 5.17, it says, Elias was a man subject to his own passions as we were, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. So what happened is, is, is Elijah in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, he prayed that God would judge Israel and that there would be a famine, that for three and a half years, there's not going to be any rain. The rain has been shut up. But Christ says, he says, hey, you remember that time, you read about it, you know the story, but you understand how there were a lot of widows in that country, but you didn't have him go to one of them. You didn't have him help any of them. Instead, the only person who allowed him to help was a single woman who happened to be a Gentile. Now, this, is, this, this would really anger the, the, the Jewish people because they're like, well, what are you talking about? You know, this, you're, you're out of your mind. Like, all of these different things, they're going to be furious at this because he's saying, hey, just like how Elijah, you guys didn't trust him with anything, and only a Gentile woman knew his power and knew what God had sent him to do, that's what you're doing to me right now. If I did this stuff, if I did these miracles, if I made, made myself known, you still wouldn't understand. It says in 1 Kings 17, 12, And she, the woman, the Gentile woman, said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. She says, I have nothing. There's nothing that I have except for this. And really, it's all we have left. So my plan is we're going to go eat it and that's going to be it. But then after, after the, the, the miraculous story of Elijah helping her, it says, And the woman said to Elijah in verse 24, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, that the word of the Lord is in thy mouth is truth. He says, hey, here's the story that you guys know. You guys, Elijah is a huge name, one of the biggest prophets that they would think of. And he says, there was even a time when you didn't trust him. You didn't want his help. But not only that, then he even says, even look at Elisha, who is Elijah's protege, the one who came right after him, who is a double portion of Elijah's spirit. There's a story about a man by the name of of Naaman, a Syrian, which is also a Gentile, a, a leader of 
a, a, the army. He's a general in the army of the Syrian army against the Jews, and this is what he says. It says that, that Laman, or Naaman had leprosy. He was a Gentile. He was a leper, so he was doubly unclean. But in 2 Kings 5.1, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable. Because of him, the Lord has given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So he was told to go down to Jordan, and eventually he didn't really want to, but finally he realized, okay, I'm going to do this. And he humbled himself enough and proclaimed God of Israel, the only true God. I won't read the whole story, but if you want to read it, it's in 2 Kings chapter 5. But both of these stories are really just Jesus saying, hey, with Elijah, you guys didn't trust him. You didn't humble yourself enough to understand that he was sent by God to help you. And so all that God helped was a Gentile woman. With Elisha, you didn't, you didn't trust him enough to heal your, your sick. But this Syrian officer did. He was sent unto Elisha to be able to say, hey, my, 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 uh, my master is sick, help us. And he says, go down to the Jordan, dip seven times, and the seventh time you'll come up clean. Both of these stories are really just him kind of, kind of giving a backhand to the Jews saying, hey, you guys in both of these stories were way too arrogant to understand who's right in front of you. And that's exactly what you are doing right now. He says, you, 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 you didn't want to listen to Elijah or Elisha, and you don't want to listen to me. So these people, they understood that Jesus was saying they were too prideful to believe. So they got mad. So they were upset. So they said, hey, you're a liar. We're going to cast you out. You're gone. That, that's it. You're done. Because they didn't want to believe. They didn't want to put it past themselves. They thought they knew everything. They thought they were, they were the, the masters, that they understood everything. And so when Christ stands up here and he says, hey, I've come to fulfill these four things that Isaiah said I would come fulfill. And they're like, no, you're just Jesus. And he says, of course, you're not going to believe me. You didn't believe Elijah. You didn't believe Elisha. So why would you believe me? You're too arrogant, too in your head to understand who's right in front of you. So I say these two, uh, these two big parts of this, uh, this story to answer one simple question. So if he didn't come for them, if he didn't come to help them, then who did Jesus come for? In my commentary, it's a John MacArthur commentary. I want to read this, this quote that I, I thought he explained it really well. It says, Jesus' point was clear and unmistakable. God has brought salvation by his arrival, but as always, it is only for those who know they are spiritually poor, prisoners, blind and oppressed. Unless his hearers were willing to humble themselves like the outcast Gentile widow and the Syrian leper terrorist and admit their spiritual need, they could not be saved. Unless they understood that they had to humble themselves to understand Christ, then they're not going to believe. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, uh, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So who did Jesus come for? Jesus came for those humble enough to understand their need for a Savior. 
That's this entire story is, hey, hey, Jesus came and he, he preached in the synagogue. He said, I'm here to set the captives free, to, to, to give gospel to the poor, to, to, you know, uh, to free the oppressed, to release the captives. All of these things I am here to do, but you don't believe it. But you don't believe me because you knew me as a child. Because you just think of me as Joseph's son. Because you don't believe that I am the son of God. That's what he says. This entire story is Jesus fulfilling prophecy and them not believing that it's really him. Why? Because they're too prideful. Because they think they know everything. That's one of the, the issues with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that, uh, that Jesus has issues with throughout the entire New Testament or his entire ministry is they are so full of themselves that they think we know everything. We know when Christ is going to come here. We know when the Savior is going to come. He's going to overthrow the government. He's going to do all of this stuff because that's what prophecy says. He says, no, I'm here to do those things, just not the way you think I'm going to do it. I'm here to help those who spiritually need help, those who are slaves to sin, those who are living in the dark, those who don't have God. That's what I'm here for. Just like Elijah and Elisha, I'm going to help those who are willing to be helped. They didn't, the other Jews during those times, they didn't want to be helped because they didn't believe in Elijah and Elisha. So that's why Elijah only helped a, a widow who was a Gentile, because she believed that he would help. That's why Elisha only helped this one leper during this time because he asked for it, because he understood who they were. So who did Jesus come for? He came for those who are humble enough to understand their need for a Savior. That's not just in the Bible times, that's today. Those who are going to get saved, those who are, understand salvation, those who know that they are lost, are going to accept Christ. But those who are still in sin, those who are still blind, those who are still captives, are still tools of wrath, they're the ones who are not going to get saved. Because for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. It doesn't just say, hey, whoever, I mean, even, even the Bible says that there are people who are going to proclaim Christ over and over and over again, but they aren't going to get into heaven because they didn't truly believe, because they didn't humble themselves enough to understand that Christ came to set them free. They thought they were already free already. So today, what I want you to, to understand is, I, I know this, this story, again, it's so full of stuff. I want you, I encourage you, go study it yourself. Look at each of these. I, I put a lot of verses on your sheet. I want you to go read them and, and look at them. And I know I, I tend to shove a lot of, of Scripture and just read it, and I don't always put it on the screen, but I do that for a purpose. I want you to study it yourself. Go back, read this story. See these four different aspects in which he's, he's saying he's coming here for. Do it. Read God's word and understand that this is what Christ came for. He came for us to have a relationship. He came for us to humble ourselves enough to understand our need for a Savior. Because if we don't do that, then we're going to stay blind. We're going to stay trapped. We're going to stay depraved. What I want to encourage you with this week is, again, go home and read these verses, but understand why Christ came. 
This entire, which we're starting to talk about the building up of Christ's ministry, and this is the beginning of him building it up, saying, hey, this is why I'm here. I am here for this purpose. And so that's what I want you to do, is I want you to, to understand why Christ came and to get out of your own head and to accept him. That's really as simple as, as it can be, is this entire story is Christ saying, I came for this purpose. All you have to do is believe it. But these Jews were way too selfish to, to believe it. I want to take a moment. Um, if everybody would just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not going to have a closing song today. So I just want to take a moment to just pray with you guys. To pray that we can, if we are saved, that we can still understand that Christ has still come to give gospel to the poor, to release the captive, give sight to the blind, and give freedom to the oppressed. And to be able to share that with others. Because that's what we're called to do as believers. If we have understood that, if we have believed that, we are told to share it. So I want to take a moment. I'm just going to pray and then uh, we'll be dismissed. But I just want you to pray while I'm praying. Pray on your own and just say, hey, God, I know why you, I know why you sent Jesus. Help me believe that. Help me understand that and help me share that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today and just for this, uh, this wonderful day that you've given us to be able to, to understand that Christ came for us, that Christ came to help us. He came to, to give gospel to the poor, to release the captive, give sight to the blind, and give freedom to the oppressed, and that we are all of those things if we do not have you. That every person who is depraved, who is in their own sins, who has not accepted Christ, is in that category. So help us to be able to humble ourselves enough to understand our need for a Savior. Help us to understand that we need to share that with others. We love you and we thank you for sending your Son and for allowing us to be saved. Thank you, God, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.